0: Welcome to the GrowthCap Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for succeeding in business. I'm your host, Arjun Lumba, Managing Partner of GrowthCap. In this episode, we chat with Roseanne Winsek, an investor with IVP, which is one of the first venture capital firms on Sand Hill Road. We hope you enjoy the show. So Roseanne, thanks so much for uh, joining us here. Delighted to... Chat with you. Um, maybe what we could do to kick off is just uh, if you could share with our audience a little bit about your background and um, you know both why and, and how you got into uh, growth investing.
1: Thank you so much for having me,
0: RJ. I, I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I have kind of a you know an atypical path into growth investing, but uh, it kind I you know I come from science and it kind of feels like a random walk, but that I've you know, ended up in a, in a great place. Um, so to go all the way back, I was a chemistry major. As an undergrad, I actually went to graduate school in biophysics. And, you know, a couple of years in, I realized I love thinking about science and talking about science, but I don't necessarily love doing science. And, you know, I felt like the work that I did was so, you know, specialized. And uh, I saw everything going on around me. And, you know, uh, I lived in San Francisco. This is 2007, 2008. And, you know, the Internet is really coming back you know, Facebook is, is really growing and you see, you know, you just saw how these products were really touching everyone around us. And that made me really excited. I really wanted to work on something that I could see in my everyday life and that would affect the people around me uh, on a daily basis. And so that really drew me kind of out of the lab and into tech. And uh, I, you know, I kind of some of my way in there by you know, starting a company. You know, I mentioned Facebook, we, we made some apps on the Facebook platform. Uh, then I moved to a uh, enterprise software company, like a bioinformatics analytics company called NextBio that Illumina ultimately bought. And there is where I kind of first heard about venture. Um, an investor in that company mentioned to me, or he asked me if I'd ever thought about venture capital. And, and frankly, I hadn't, you know, this, is, this is early and there weren't that many associates back then, not nearly as many as there are today. And frankly, I didn't know any DCs that looked like me. Um, however, you know, I, I kind of went and I looked and I, I started reading everything I could about it and I was like, this is the job for me, I've got to do it. And what really drew me to it was this idea that I got to you know, spend time in technology, think about products that affect the people around me and affect our daily lives, but uh, at the same time, kind of get to be an academic about it, right? Like I, I feel as though my job is still you know, kind of similar to how it was when I was in graduate school you know, I kind of build these mental models about the world and, you know, kind of try to do experiments about, you know, what I think the outcomes will be or or what the underlying trends are. But instead of pipetting, I talk to people. And so it's just a much better, um, it's a much better fit for my personality. And I just think it's a lot more fun. And so I ended up going to Stanford uh, for business school and I entered the GSB kind of wanting to do venture and I ultimately, um, you know, joined Canaan Partners, which is an early stage venture firm. Uh, which was a phenomenal experience, which I really loved. And, you know, I kind of thought from my background of, you know, something kind of technical and and early stage companies that early stage investing was was really, you know, the right fit for me. And, you know, I love it, but I kind of missed the the data and the numbers and getting to watch companies over time. You know, I had started a company, I had been at a company uh, in kind of more trying times than we have right now. I realized that not everything is always up and to the right. You know, there's a lot of ups and downs. And, you know, at the Series A, you're really focused on, you know, buying 20% of a company for back then it was 3 to $5 million. You know, at a time when the company had enough traction that it was interesting, but it wasn't so far along that you couldn't get your ownership target. And that really felt like a constraint to me. You know, I'd seen companies go up and down, and I really wanted to invest when I thought the time was right for me. And so, um, IVP approached me, gosh, almost four years ago now. And you know, said, have you ever thought about growth? And, you know, frankly, I hadn't. I don't have the typical growth background. I never did banking. Um, you know, I, I didn't kind of grow up through that system. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that growth would kind of fulfill some of my frustrations that I found in early stage, you know, that there wasn't a lot of data. I, you know, at, at the growth stage I can be more opportunistic, right? We can do B's, we can do C's, we can do D's, we do pre-IPO work, we do we can buy the IPO, we can buy the public market. Like I love that I get to invest when I think the time is right, not necessarily when it's time to raise a Series A. And um, and yeah, so I moved over to IVP about three and a half years ago, early 2015, and it's just been so much fun. Um,
0: That's great. And and so maybe, um, and you've, you've, so you're now at IVP, um, you talk a little bit about the flexibility and the way they invest. Maybe we could spend a little bit more time uh, around that um, and, and, and maybe honing in on, on how IVP you know, maybe different than other um, growth funds out there?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I think at IVP, we talk about hyper growth a lot. And really, I think we're just, we are super focused on growth. And that's kind of for two reasons. One, you know, I think those are the most exciting companies. And you realize that when, you know, a company really hits product market fit, they can just grow so quickly that they, quick, that they you know, quickly outpace their competitors. Um, and that being in that market leader is so important. And then second, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, issues that come along with growing that quickly, right? Like in doubling or tripling your team in a year, you know, it's an exciting time for a company, but that it's not without, you know, a lot of hard work and a lot of landmines to navigate around. And so, you know, I think that's where we really focus and that's where we can really help companies um, to, to scale. You know, we say that we, you know, we look for companies that are doing more than $10 million of revenue or $10 million of run rate. And, and that's kind of, you know, we, we kind of have that as our um, kind of the, the crude first task. But how I think about it personally is that, does the comp- has the company figured out, you know, unit economics and, and kind of product market fit? And you see that there's something repeatable there in the company that it makes sense to pour extra dollars into. Right. You know, I think we're we're the best fit when, you know, things are working and you've seen a bunch of experiments and it's really time to step on the gas. And how do you step on the gas effectively? How do you build the team around yourself to 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 navigate that stepping on the gas? And um, and how do you ultimately, you know, become that next level of company? I think that's really like where we focus and frankly, where we're experts.
0: Excellent. And maybe what we could do now is talk about some of your um, recent investments uh, that that. uh... Uh, look really cool, you know. Masterclass and and keep trucking. Um, you know, would love to hear a little bit more about kind of you know your experience with those two companies, and um, you know maybe also um, some of the the work you do uh, throughout the uh, investment period when you're a uh, uh, when you're kind of a holder in in the company stock. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so uh, we invested in Keep truckin' last December. Um, It's it's really been such a fun ride. So that company is truly the definition of hyper growth. They grew from about $1 to $30 million in ARR last year. You know, it's unlike anything that we've ever seen. And what really impressed us about the company was how they kind of built infrastructure to support that kind of growth. And, you know, the company, uh, they were awaiting this, there was an ELD mandate. The company sells an electronic logging device. Uh, which is a device that uh, truck drivers put in their cars to, or in their trucks, sorry, to um, uh, for compliance and reporting. And there was a new mandate coming out saying that every truck had to have this type of device at the end of last year. And, you know, the company recognized that mandate and really prepared for that. And that's what made me really impressed by it. So, you know, Shoei Mukani, the CEO, he always jokes that, you know, he had, get Salesforce engineers and some of the first engineering hires, and they bought Zora before they had revenue because they really had to, you know, build for scale with, as they thought about this incoming demand. And, you know, Keeps the starts at $20, and, and they sell to a non-technical customer that uses the device to get their job done and to not get taken off the road. And so, you know, it's really mission critical for their customer, but they need to be able to sell and support that device at a very low cost because you know, it's not a high ASP software product. And so I just think that the work that they did to provide, you know, such top level sales and support and and really absorb this wave of demand was phenomenal. It's, you know, frankly, I I have so much respect for his foresight and it's unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, the work that we've done since we've invested has, is frankly, my favorite kind. It's, it's so much fun. Uh, we really helped them with uh, executive team building and, and kind of leveling up the company. You know, I think they've gotten to this phenomenal point, and now I, we have so much more room to go, but we need to, you know, now we have a giant customer base to, to support. Now we have to, you know, continue building that trusted relationship with them. Now we have to think about, you know, what else we can do with, uh, you know, with this uh, customer base and relationship that we have. And so we have spent a ton of time helping, uh, should we really attract and sell phenomenal candidates. We hired a a new general counsel who was the general counsel of Weebly and and Kiva Systems, which is the robot company Amazon bought. Uh, we hired an SVP of uh, marketing from uh, G Suite from Google, and we just signed a, a head of product last night, uh, which is pretty exciting. And you know, for instance, you know, I, I met with that uh, that candidate earlier this week. We had lunch and just talked about everything. You know that we're excited about with the company, and then Joey texted us last night letting us know that he closed. So I think that's a lot of the kind of day-to-day work that we do, and, and frankly, it's so much fun. And, and Masterclass, uh, we invested in Masterclass in March of 2017. Um, I've known David Rogier for a really long time, the CEO, and he's he's phenomenal, and he's extremely mission-driven, which is is such a fun type of CEO to work with. Um, you know, I've known David for a long time. I knew. I knew him when he was starting the company, and I remember he told me this idea about, you know, creating an online education platform where the best in the world teach their craft. And I was like, that's an amazing idea. I have no idea how you are going to get these people. And he did. And, you know, I I think when I also think back to my time as an early-stage investor to a growth-stage investor, I think about this company a lot, right? So Alex Kurevich from Javelin, who led the Series A, you know, took a big bet that David was going to be able to... Create first create uh, a value prop to the instructors that was compelling enough to get them on the platform, and B, have unit economics that could support good growth. And frankly, that was a bet that was, I was, you know, that was too risky for me, but really good for him. Um, You know, he he made the right bet, He, he picked the right entrepreneur. And you know, when we came around at the C, it was clear that Masterclass had created this, you know, amazing bench of instructors that frankly, you know, other instructors were drawn to, right? People want to be part of that club. And they've kept such a high bar on both the instructor and the the content, or the quality of content. And I think that's just so important and strategic today. You know, there is so much junk out there competing for our attention, you know, so much just clickbait and, and crappy stuff out there. And, and I think to actually, you know, be differentiated and immersive, you have to have beautiful content. And I think they've done a phenomenal job of that. And finally, you know, we got to see, you know, through, Uh, you know, their their years of execution that the economics of the business really worked and were really exciting. And, you know, they were at that place that I mentioned before where you felt really confident throwing more money in. Um, And so that one one is also so fun because the product is amazing. Like, I I personally love it. Um, Ford and Ramsey's second class just came out. I can't wait to watch it. Um, I'm in the middle of Chris Hadfield, who's that Canadian um, astronaut, who made all the YouTube videos, his class is amazing and it basically prepares you for space travel because you know, he says some of the people watching the class will go to Mars, which is amazing. Um, so yeah, that, that company is a lot of fun. And there also we've done a lot of team building, uh, you know, helping with hiring, because frankly, that, that's the most important thing we can help these companies with at this time, right? Getting the right people in to actually do the work. And you know, it's not that the teams aren't great when we invest. We wouldn't invest if there wasn't a great team behind the company but when you're going through this incredible growth trajectory the scope of roles change and grow so much that you know you either need more experienced people or roles need to be split or you need to you know build functions that you haven't had before and getting the right people around the table and the right talent there is what makes all the difference
0: so those are two great uh examples of um you know high performing companies and, and entrepreneurs, um, what are you focused on today? What's most interesting to you um, and, and kind of where do you see you spending the most time over the next, you know, couple, two, three years?
1: You know, I think that there's going to be some of it business as usual. Um, you know, I think that the venture market has been so strong. It's, it's frankly, A, it's tough to be disciplined in it just because, you know, prices are, are very high. There's a lot of capital in the system right now. But on the other hand, there are so many Series A and Series B companies that are getting funded. And frankly, the quality of the companies that we see is kind of the best ever, right? You know, I think that's due to, you know, not only the amount of early-stage capital in the market, but also, you know, the ease of starting a company and the ease to scale a company with services like Amazon. And also the fact that, you know, every consumer and, you know, worker has a supercomputer in their pocket. So we just see you know, so much market pull plus so much um, underlying infrastructure that I I think we're kind of in this golden age of of tech companies. So, you know, I think there's a lot, you know, where we're just going to, you know, I'm going to spend my time looking at, you know, the top software and internet companies, but also I'm I'm also really excited about new models that we're seeing. You know, I think that um, we're getting to a really exciting point, for instance, with genomics and what you can do there where... Uh, Illumina is not unlike AWS, where they kind of standardize um, sequencing, and so what are the applications that you can build on top of that? Um, you know, I think machine learning and AI are also getting to a point where we're seeing, you know, we're seeing phenomenal companies where that is their differentiator and driver. And frankly, I think those business models are going to be different, right? It's not they're not going to be software companies that just, you know, sell to their customers. They're going to be their own customer and go to market that way. And I think that. As growth investors, we have to be creative in how we think about them, uh, where we, you know, we kind of value them the right way and 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 help them set up for success. But, you know, I think we're seeing that already in, you know, a lot of these kind of vertically integrated companies like Uber, right? Uber doesn't sell to taxi companies. They operate the service themselves or Compass, right? They don't sell to to real estate brokerages. They are the brokerage. They have agents. I think we're going to see more and more of that, uh, especially driven by ML and AI.
0: And, um, you know, you've had an interesting path, um, you know, previously you were, you're more uh, early stage. Um, so we'd we'll be interested in your, in your take on this question. Well, what do you think makes a, a great growth investor?
1: I think that's a great question. You know, I, I feel very lucky that I've been an early stage investor because, you know, I've seen how raw companies can be. I remember when I first got to IVP. Every company looked amazing, right? Every CEO looked amazing because I was used to seeing Series A CEOs, and only the top, you know, ten fifteen percent get to the C, and just because they get there doesn't mean they're, you know, they're, you know, one of the best Series C CEOs. So I think that I'm lucky having seen a lot of a lot of breath uh, in company stage, and, and why I say that is because. I think it reminds me to kind of keep this beginner's mind and, and curiosity. And I think that's so important, even at the growth stage of thinking about what could be Um, because frankly, in venture investing, the risk reward is so asymmetric, right? The risk is that you lose your capital. The reward is that you have, you know, a 10 or hundred X, right? And so I think where we get it wrong is on the upside, right? Like we, we, we kind of cap what this could be. And I, and, you know, I think that, you know, Right. Uber talks about having, you know, hard times in the very early days of fundraising. I don't think anybody thought back then it could be a sixty billion dollar company. And so I think that for growth investing, it's really important to, I don't know, like I, I like I, I wish more growth investors could sit next to early stage investors and see how they get excited about what could be, um, and kind of you know keep that curiosity in that beginner's mind. But at the same time, you know, stay very disciplined. Uh, you know, at the at the growth stage we're. Prices are high. We're investing at high valuations. And frankly, you know, at the early stage, you make a lot of money from picking. At the growth stage, you make a lot of money from pricing. And so making sure that you are, you know, excited about what could be, but not baking it so much into your price that you take away your return. So I, I really think it's, it's it's hard to be a growth investor because you kind of have to pull these two strings constantly on one side being very, very optimistic and on the other side being very disciplined and realizing that, especially at the growth stage, sometimes there are great companies that... They're
0: just not great investment. Got it. And um, if I could, if we could close out with, with one question, and, and uh, it's something that we, we chatted about last time, but I, I found it to be, you know, very enlightening. And, and uh, you know, I asked this question somewhat selfishly because I have two daughters. But if you could just share with us what, you know, how you were able to, and maybe the people that influenced you along the way, how you were able to kind of, um you know, kind of climb the ladder and get into the VC world? And, you know, not only, you know, the VC world, but just, you know, becoming, you know, an accomplished, you know, person in business.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think, you know, we talked about this earlier, just about, you know, how to net, like, how you do this as, you know, a woman in a male-dominated field. And, you know, I think about, Kind of two buckets of my life uh one you know i went to this phenomenal all girl school and i was just joking with somebody about this last night that you know i remember reading about like barbara mcclintock and Rosalind franklin right these female scientists that were treated really horribly and thinking oh my god that's so terrible And so glad that doesn't happen anymore right like i i, I grew up in this bubble of being so naive that i because i was told i could do anything and I, I think that was to my benefit and also you know my dad was just like was really always telling me I could do anything I wanted to do, and I, I it really felt like as nauseum, ad nauseum, and I was like, Dad, why do you keep saying this? Like I know, and I, and I, he told me that because he knew that you know that I would get into the world and people would tell me otherwise, and so you know I feel really lucky that as a young person I really had it, you know, kind of jammed into my brain that I could do whatever I wanted and that you know it, it didn't matter. And then, you know, I think I've been really lucky in my career, you know, when I was in science, I didn't seek this out, but I worked for phenomenal women, right, I worked for Judith Quinman, who's a National Medal of Science winner, she was the first physical science hire at Berkeley, she's in marketing, and, uh, and then I moved to venture, and, you know, I wasn't seeking this out again, but I happened to work with Maha Ibrahim, uh, who's been at Canaan Partners for, gosh, I think 18 or 19 years, and and she was just so phenomenal. And, you know, even today, you know, I, I I think I'm so lucky because I have so many phenomenal advocates, you know, like inside of IDP, my, my partner, Jules Maltz, that you know, for instance, has just been been so phenomenal um, in in kind of being like both a mentor, but also an advocate for me. You know, I think one thing that you don't realize is that, you know, as kind of a, this minority group, a lot of times like, you don't get as much voice as everyone else. And so I think that when those who are in the majority recognize that and help lend their voice to those people, it's hugely beneficial and so you know i I think what we we spoke about last time is you know as a father telling your daughter if they can do anything like even if you know they they tell you like dad stop and roll their eyes and and you know i think is a in in work helping people that don't have the visibility you do and lending some of your visibility to them because it
0: helps those just so much well that that's that's a great note to end on and i'll definitely uh heed that advice. Very very. Um, So, um, well, that about, you know, wraps it up. I really appreciate, um, you know, the time here today. And I think we covered uh, a lot of ground. So um, thanks again, Roseanne.
1: Thanks so much for having me, RJ.